welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. We talk to extraordinary people that you've heard of and extraordinary people that you haven't. We pick their brains about how they get stuff done. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's guest is Jennifer Attilamil. She is an Australian model who is now based in New York and has just been signed with a major lingerie brand. Can you guess which one? It's revealed a little bit later in the show. She is one of their first size inclusive models. To be honest, when her publicist first sent me her press release, I didn't actually think she'd be that much of an appropriate guest for the show. But then I checked her out on her Instagram. She's Jennifer. She's at Jennifer Attila Mill. And I realized she's so freaking ace. She's an inclusion activist for people of color, mental health stigma and body positivity. Although in this interview, she makes it perfectly clear why the term body positivity is so problematic and why she's trying very hard not to use it. In this episode, we chat about finding your path, the pressure to look a certain way, what it's like living in New York and being very vocal about what you believe in, even if it might cost you your career. You are a model. How did you end up doing this and was it always the plan for you? Um, no, <laughs> in, a, in a roundabout way, no. I, um, I went to university. Well, let's start from the very beginning. I... I guess, yes, in a way. I, when I was about 15, I really wanted to, I guess, be a model. And I was lining up for Australia's Next Top Model. I don't know what cycle it was. And I um, ended up going in for the uh, like audition and I was, I guess, scouted by a talent agency or talent development person Um in the line. And and I ended up going into like a modeling course, which if you hear any of of the professional models kind of talking about it nowadays, those modeling courses are scams in a way. I I don't discredit the course because I did actually learn a lot, but it, it, they're kind of money grabbers, but, (laughs) um, so I did that. I was ended up, uh, I ended up being approached by two agencies after that, uh, who offered me contracts, but I was underage at the time and I was severely underweight. Um, I was dealing with a lot of disordered eating and just like self-image issues. But um, my mum stepped in at the time and said, no, we just can't. She she basically said, I don't want to uh, let you do this. I think it's really irresponsible and I think it's very unhealthy. So um, I didn't start then. So I went to university and I'd finished my undergraduate degree and I was kind of presented with two options to finish my undergraduate degree and work and, and do internships and that sort of thing. Um, or I, I was kind of, I just was very confused at the end of my degree and wanted to, I guess, see what happened. My friend had suggested that I send in my, my photos to, uh, my agency, um, Yeah, at the time, because there was such a thing as curve modeling, but I also couldn't get a job after my undergraduate degree. So I was like, I'll just do a master's degree because that seemed like a really logical option at the time. What (laughs) Um, what did you do your degree in? uh, My master's or undergrad. 
Uh, so I did my undergrad in, it was just like arts, but it was a global arts degree. So I had to do like a, an international component where I had to do an exchange. Um, and then I minored in journalism and um, majored in international relations kind of politics. And then my master's, I did master's of international relations and then master's of journalism. So I've got a double master's as well. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't get a job out of uni. And I thought maybe if I had a master's degree, I'd be more employable. And then the master's came through and the modeling contract came through at the same time. And I kind of had to, I guess I decided which one I wanted to do. And I was like, I want to do both. So I flung myself into both of them to kind of see which one would give me the best outcome. Um, and I am modeling now and not using my degree. <laughs> But looking at I'm, my tax return, I'm and sure my you'll use your degree. Time. It sounds very. Think, yeah. uh, <laughs> sorry, it's, it sounds very much like it will be a degree that will actually help you in your modelling career and help you to probably be a bit more smart about it as well. I think so, and like I do say to my mum all the time, I do think I am using it because I'm using the journalism side for like my social media and just the way that I carry myself and speak in public and that sort of thing. But then also I'm using the international relations side because I am still using my platform to speak about, you know, current issues and human rights stuff. Like stuff is not really the right term, but but just being very vocal and being an activist, I guess, as well, and, and really being informed as opposed to just, you know, resharing thing, resharing things. I really know what I'm talking about. Or I pride myself on really knowing what I'm talking about. Um, so just, just going back to how you were lining up for Australia's next top model and you were, what term do you use for a non-curve model? The industry calls it straight size, which I really hate. <laughs> I just hate all of the, the industry terminology. It's just, it's so, it's almost degrading and it, it still puts women in boxes and, and just, not even women, just people in boxes and tries to define people and doesn't just let people be themselves. Um, but yeah, industry straight size is a size eight, I think, eight and under. And then anything above a size eight or like size 10 is considered plus size, which is why there's so much, I guess, backlash to the term plus size being used to anyone above a size 10, because it is basically just all other people above a size 10. Yeah. And they're very othering phrases as well, making straight size yeah. seem the normal size and everything not being that size being something else. Yeah. And like the aspirational and, and that if you're not that, then there's something wrong with you or something wrong with your body. And it just makes, it just fuels the insecurities and fuels all of that self-loathing. And I think that, yeah, it tries to, I, I really try and separate myself from that and just call myself a model. Definitely. Your, your mum sounds fantastic, by the way, for p pulling you out of entering into the modelling world in a, a state that wasn't your natural state. Like how thrilled are you that you are able to be in the modelling industry exactly as you are and not having to change anything about yourself? Absolutely. And I remember at the time, obviously, I was a 15-year-old adolescent girl just like, I hate you, mum. You've ruined my life. But looking back now, I, I think honestly, it was one of the most probably hardest things for her to do as a, as a mother, just kind of 
she saw me so enthusiastic and, and she kind of killed my dream. And she had like <laughs> this hormonal teenager just like hating on her. But um, in the in the long run and in, in hindsight, I'm just really grateful that she uh, did step in when she did. She must be having one hell of a told you so moment right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's like, I, I don't want to ever say I told you so, but, and she just is silent. She's like, does she know? <laughs> Um, so you're not only a model, you're also an activist and you champion body positivity, inclusivity, and representation. Uh, you've also got a podcast here if you need with your best mate, Amy, and I listened to an episode, uh, this week. I loved it. Um, how are you finding navigating the world of modeling, which is traditionally such a conformist industry with being so unapologetically enthusiastic about the things that you believe in? It's really hard. It's really hard. And I I know when I first started out modeling, I felt like I was censoring myself in a way because I feel like I, and I think it was all internalization, but I think I had this idea of what modeling and what models were supposed to be. And it was this internal battle within myself that, um, and I think it's also, you know, internalized misogyny to be fair, that I couldn't be pretty and smart and be pretty and opinionated. And when I was, you know, starting out modeling, it was like, well, you can't be a model and smart because there's that stereotype that models are dumb and and don't say much. Or if they do say something, it's just vapid and and stupid. And so I was kind of battling with that myself um, because I think I had these outdated ideas of what a model should be. But I, as I've kind of navigated the industry, as I've gone more international, I've realized that there are so many models out there and I think all that you see, you know, when you see like the super, super, super successful supermodels, that's a very select few. But there are so many other incredible women, men, you know, non-binary um, people that I have met um, that just are incredible people that are so intelligent, so smart and it just has really made me think, well, if people don't want to listen to what I have to say or if people don't want to accept what I stand for, then I don't even want to kind of work for these people. Like I don't want to dull myself or, or dim my my opinions and my voice and, and what I believe in to just kind of fit into this ideal of what I think modelling and models should be. I'm absolutely in awe of you. That's just, it's, it's such an incredible realization to come to uh, so early. I know a lot of women I know have to kind of have a couple of kids and be 40 before they reach <laughs> the, I don't care what you think about me phase. So I'm, I'm almost jealous that you managed to do it so, so early in your life. I have to say that I'm definitely not a hundred percent there. I still battle a lot of the time, especially with Instagram. Like, should I post this? Should I say this? Should I speak out about this? Because there is still such backlash, I think, because people forget that I'm a human being behind my public, you know, persona. And I say public persona in inverted quotation marks, but it it is hard because I, I do oftentimes, especially on the issue of racism, I speak out about racism a lot, especially in Australia. And I have a lot of people coming to me saying that racism doesn't exist and kind of trying to educate me and, and almost get angry at me. And it, it does get exhausting. And I kind of have got to a point now that I like in that sense, I don't care, but it, I definitely still 
everything I do is still calculated because I have to protect my own like mental health and my, my, my energy to be able to deal with the backlash if I do say something potentially controversial. Yeah, I actually, uh, on the topic of Instagram, I, I, I hope this, this helps you in continuing to do what you're doing. Uh, but I got, I got a press release about you and your career from, um, I, from your PR person. And I thought, oh, look, okay. Like the, 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 your story sounded great. You know, uh, uh, a model from, uh, oh, I'm not going to say that bit yet. Cause that's coming up. <laughs> I was about to ruin the, the, the thing. Uh, but yeah, so I got this, this, uh, PR thing about your career and I was like, oh, she sounds interesting. And then I clicked through to Instagram and I was like, whoa, she's amazing. And then I looked through all of your stuff and I, I was just, so incredibly impressed and quite taken aback. I, I was, I was incredibly impressed. So I, I do hope that as, cause it was brand new, fresh eyes. I had, I had literally only just heard of you and I became an instant fan and then listened to your oh, podcast you. and went through all of your stuff on Instagram. So I, I do hope that you continue to, cause it is hard when you do get that, that backlash, but I was incredibly impressed and, and an immediate fan when I, I looked at your stuff. Oh, thank you. That, that honestly means so much. Cause I think too, being in, a, in like my little bubble, being in New York and, and not being able to get home and, and I guess be as present in Australia as I would like to just because I can't travel anymore, I do sometimes feel that a lot of the work that I'm doing is, is kind of falling on deaf ears and, and I do sometimes want to give up and it's, it's hard because I think it's just like with anything, when you put your heart and soul into something and you don't see immediate results, especially with something as big as, you know, my... I guess my end goal is to try and end like systemic racism and and really heal the world. Like I'm probably not going to see that in my lifetime. So to kind of put all of this energy into something and not see the results straight away, I'm such an immediate person. So I get so frustrated and I often, oftentimes do give up on, um, on, on what I kind of put all this energy into, but, but hearing that kind of response, it does kind of reassure me that it isn't falling on deaf ears and that I should keep going. And, but yeah, I'm, I'm only human and you know, (laughs) it it is hard. (laughs) It's always the grumpy people that want to give you their opinions anyway. So, and I know that that's, that's like, it makes it sound trite in a way, but they really are the loudest people, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so this was the thing that I almost ruined at the beginning of the, of the interview, but I wanted to save it for the middle. So I'm like dropping the big bombshell. Yeah. Uh, so you have signed with Victoria's Secret, which is huge. Can you tell us about your decision to sign with a traditionally problematic brand and essentially being the face of their rebrand to be more inclusive? Yeah. So one of my biggest things is I absolutely detest cancel culture. I think it is vile and I think it really stops people from growing and learning from their mistakes. I know for like from my my life and the things that I've said and done in the past, I still cringe at some of the things that I've said in the past. And if I could have a a do over, I would absolutely not say them again. But if I was to be held accountable for every wrong thing I said in my life, I wouldn't be here where I am today. And I wouldn't be the person that I am today. So why can't we offer the same, I guess, olive branch to companies and people that have done, you know, not necessarily the right things, but things that they can learn and develop from. I do think when it comes to cancelling people, if it's something that you, that's kind of abhorrent and illegal and, you know, it has harmed people, 
uh, there are certain things I, I will not give an exception to. Um, but when it comes to little things like, well, it wasn't really a little thing. Victoria's Secret was very problematic. But um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to things that, you know, you can learn from and, and things like Victoria's Secret, they completely, they fired their entire team after all of their controversies. They, they started again. They were very late to the table. Uh, I don't think that they rebranded soon enough, I guess. I think they were very late to rebrand, but just because they did it late doesn't mean they should be punished for it. I think anyone that wants to actually be diverse, be inclusive, doesn't matter if it took them a year after their customers were asking for it or 10 years after, even though 10 years is probably too long, but (laughs) I, I definitely think that they shouldn't be hated on for being inclusive because at the end of the day, that's what we want, right? And if they are willing to go that extra mile to cater to all body types, all genders, all ethnicities, I think that should be celebrated and it should be held as like the new norm. And if brands aren't doing that, that's when we should be kind of can't not cancelling them, but but kind of holding them to account. So it, yeah, I, I felt really privileged to be part of that rebrand because of everything that has happened in the past, and I have had a couple of moments where I've, I've, I had been approached by them in the past. And I did say, I I was traveling at the time, but I did say, I I don't really know how I feel about working with them because I just don't think that they have done enough to be inclusive. But I started to see their rebrand and I had the opportunity fall into my lap. And the first time that they asked, I actually did turn them down because I didn't think that it was inclusive enough. And I sat with it for a while and I thought, no, they are doing the right thing. Plus I would be stupid to turn it down. Like, you know, it's a huge career move for me. And this opportunity to get that, that level of exposure, to be able to say the things that I'm saying and Victoria's Secret still want to work with me. Like, this is a huge thing. Like, I am this outspoken activist and they want to work with me. I haven't had to to dull myself down. I was like, you are silly if you turn this down now. And I didn't. And, you know, here I am. <laughs> and even the fact that, that you're clearly able to chat so freely about your thought process behind partnering with them on a podcast in the past, brands, and I'm not saying Victoria's Secret, but brands of that caliber would have had like silencing clauses on all of your contracts and that kind of thing. So even, even just you here talking so openly about your contract with them, puts a lot of faith in me that they are heading in the right direction and, and doing the right thing. Another thing I think it's important to think about, um, when big brands like that do a rebrand or do more to be inclusive, it actually takes years and years to put that kind of stuff into process. Like Victoria's Secret would be making, uh, their lines and their underwear and their shows, they'd be planning those years and years in advance. So yeah. I think I don't think big corporations need me to feel sorry for them or make excuses for them. But sometimes I do feel like in, in the activism world, people want immediate changes and it, it does actually take several years to implement those changes. Even if you don't see them, they're being worked on behind the scenes. Absolutely. That's the same with, you know, brands extending their sizing and, when, you know, they do start at a 16 or 18 and, and people say, oh, it's not good enough. And brands say, we're working on it. They are. They're, they're seeing the the supply and demand 
it's obviously going to be high and they're already working on extending their sizing before there it, it does get released like it yeah it takes time <laughs> Hello, just interrupting this episode super quickly to tell you that I have a goal to get to 500 reviews of productivity by the end of 2021. To date, we're at 217 and I would love to double that number. My Kate Sobrano episode was listened to over 5,000 times. So if just 2.5% of the people who listened to that episode left a review, I'd be at my goal today. If you love this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. Just search for productivity in your podcast app, scroll down and click leave a review. Thank you so much. Uh, I've, I've listened to your podcast about body positivity and, uh, how you've distanced yourself from the movement of body positivity after originally supporting from it, uh, uh, supporting it and even benefiting from it. And there was an amazing part in the episode of your podcast that I listened to where you said that, uh, you are seen as a, a societally appropriate level of fat. And I was listening to it and I actually fist bumped when you said that, um, <laughs> can you talk more about ditching body? positivity movement and uh where that places you as a model now yeah so I think the reason why I'm ditching the body positivity label is that body positivity stemmed out of uh the research that that it comes from is it came from a third wave of feminism um created by black fat black activists and it was created as a space for marginalized bodies to be seen and celebrated in a society that didn't see them as, as kind of whole human beings. And that's when I kind of stumbled upon it. And I saw all of these beautiful fat women just loving themselves in, in, in every way, shape or form and, and wearing, you know, crop tops and short skirts and all of these like fashion decisions that, you know, we would usually have been told were, you know, you know, don't wear stripes if you're if you're too big because it will, you know, accentuate your curves or be unflattering, which is, you know, such a problematic term in itself. But I saw this movement and, and I was I was a lot bigger um, and and I was able to really gain a, a level of self-confidence that I hadn't hadn't seen before. But slowly and surely, I think like anything, it kind of gets co-opted and capitalized and, and people want to turn a profit, profit from it. And I think the self-care movement almost intersected with body positivity and then self-love intersected with body positivity. And all of these thinner, very able-bodied women, and I say women in the, the gender-inclusive term, um, started... I guess, using body positivity to just show self-love. And it left all of these marginalised bodies once again at the outer edges of, of acceptance in, in society. And I just thought, well, that's not fair because <laughs> this space was created by these people and now they're once again kind of shunned. And I do have, you know, this this acceptable body shape that people see me and they're like, oh, yeah, you're just curvy or like you know, you're a little bit pudgy around, you know, your tummy or whatever. Like I can still go into some stores and I can still buy clothes. You know, I'm not, I'm not at all, um, marginalized, you know, I've, yeah, I've had 
a bit of a tough life because of the color of my skin, but no, it's not that tough of a life. Like, you know, there are, there are still some downfalls, but I just didn't want to take up space in a space that was no longer for me. Um, and I think, yeah, I've been quite active with that in my work and, and I do oftentimes feel that even like the plus size label for me is not right because even though it's like an accept it's a um like an industry term it's just not I wouldn't consider myself plus size and I I it's not that I think plus size is a bad term I just don't think that I fit into that space and I don't want to make people feel bad about themselves because I I a lot of the time I have people comment, well, if you're plus size, then what am I? And I don't ever want women to feel that way about them, their, their bodies. And it's just, yeah, I, I think society has this obsession with labeling and putting people in boxes and yeah, even like body positive and, and people call me this body positive model and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I do find it hard at times because I am positive about my body but I don't want to be called body positive so it's yeah I think body neutrality is the new the new term that's popping up but you know do we even have to define it can't we just love our bodies and leave it at that like <laughs> absolutely and it is so hard to to talk about these things because uh, this is actually something I was thinking about the other day with the whole body positivity movement and uh I I Look, I can't even call myself plus size either. I'm, I'm like an in-betweeny. I'm kind of, you know, a yeah. size 14 to 16. So yeah. I, I, I think kind of not thin is the way I would describe myself somehow. Uh, but I, I've spent a lot of time taking, you know, p- putting putting photos up online and that kind of thing and just always explaining my body away. And the thing that I'm really enjoying online at the moment is when I see not thin women posting photos of themselves and not talking about their body at all, just rocking a gorgeous outfit or looking fantastic in a bikini on the beach and not doing hashtag body positivity, hashtag this, just, just existing as they are looking fantastic is something I'm, I'm very much enjoying at the moment. So I, I I appreciate your thoughts on removal, removing labels entirely and just letting people exist as they are. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people are almost trying to profit off trauma And, you know, we can exist in bodies without having to rehash over the fact that we've had to feel bad about the way we look. Like, why can't we wear a bikini and just wear a bikini? Why do we have to address the fact that we've overcome all of these insecurities or we still have these insecurities about these roles? Or why can't I wear a short skirt and not draw attention to the fact I have cellulite? Let's just accept that I have cellulite, not draw attention to it and move on and just say that I look pretty in a skirt. Like, I think there is a real, it's almost like trauma porn. And we're so obsessed with like, yeah, rehashing the trauma to like get likes, I guess, and be like, oh, I'm so, oh, how brave. Like, oh, wow. And I just don't think that's healthy. I and 100% agree with you. People can I, hate on me all they want. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love everything you said. Oh, lovely. Um, so can you tell me your best ever dinner party story? Like the one that you whip out when you want to send everyone into hysterics? Uh, I don't know. I guess my, my dinners, my like hysterics would be just that I feel like I dreamt about walking the Tommy Hilfiger runway. So that, that would be probably something that I 
if people were like, oh my gosh, tell me like the best story of your career, it would be that a year before the, the runway happened, I dreamt about being in a room about to go on like a runway and Ashley Graham was next to me and she she was going before me and I was behind her. This was the dream. And then I was doing this, it's what they call like a fit to confirm. So you're not fully confirmed for the job. Um, you have to do the fitting and then if they like you in the clothing after you've done the fitting, then they might confirm you for the runway. A nightmare. It's a nightmare. So stress levels are so high, but I'm trying on this outfit and I'm in this kind of tent thing. There's a monitor on the, on, on just opposite me. It's exactly the scenario from my dream. And all of a sudden Ashley Graham walks in and she's like, hi, I'm Ashley. And I just stopped my world kind of in that moment. I felt like my, I was just doing this kind of 360 turn in my head. I was like, I dreamt this. This is going to happen. This is happening. This is going to happen. I'm walking this runway. And then I walked out of there, called my friend straight away. And I told her that dream. And I was like, oh my gosh, Charlotte, you would not believe my dream. Remember the dream? The the It wasn't, I didn't know what designer it was, but I said, remember that New York fashion runway dream that I told you about? It just happened. And she was like, oh my God, girl, no way. Like, and then I booked the show and I was like, I knew this was going to happen. That's amazing. I, I was freaked out for a minute when I thought that you actually pre-dreamt that it was Tommy. And I was like, why, like, why Tommy? But if it was just, it was just more it general. It was just this it. like general, like New York fashion week. I, I still, to this day, my mom thinks I'm, she doesn't think I'm crazy, but I, <laughs> I feel like I'm very intuitive and I do think I have deja vu. I think I, my dreams are sometimes premonitions. I don't necessarily know them at the time. Um, but yeah, I'm very much into the spiritual spirituality realm and, and everything, but yeah, it was a big moment for me. Cause I'm like, I knew this was happening. Like, yeah. I do feel like there was a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. A little bit. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I dreamt this, this, I, like, I know this is happening. I know from the feeling that I'm feeling now that I'm booking this runway. Is Ashley Graham as lovely in real life as she seems on Instagram? Yeah, she's every bit that, not crazy personality. I should, I need to stop using the word crazy to define like women's Oh my God, I do the same thing. I'm trying really hard. I'm going <laughs> with bananas at the moment. Bananas. I like that. Yeah. She's just very, she's, she's loud and outgoing and, and incredible, like such amazing energy. Yeah. Can you tell me the most famous person you've ever met? Yes. Serena Williams. <laughs> oh, that's a big one. Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like right now in this moment, I'm name dropping. I'm like, and I did this runway and Asher Graham and Serena Williams and blah, blah, blah. But I also, no, I'm asking Serena you, Williams so it's, I it's not name dropping <laughs> if you get asked. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I walked her runway my first season of New York Fashion Week. And it was the second season I walked her, her second runway. And I just remember walking into the room and she's like, hey, Jennifer. And I was like, what? Serena Williams knows my name. I'm sure she had someone tell her, but I was like, I was over the moon. I was, she's, she's one of my biggest idols because I loved watching her play tennis. And Growing up, I always saw her body type as one that was very similar to mine. And yeah, to then kind of be in the same room as her, her know my name, be able to take photos with her, like to walk in her runway. It was just insane. 
I absolutely love that story. I'm a big fan of Serena Williams as well. I don't She's watch also tennis. so nice. So nice. I just love everything about her. Every time I see her do anything, I just, I think she's so fantastic. And I love, uh, even from well before this became a proper thing, I remember looking at her body and thinking that is the closest thing I've seen to my body. Yeah. In someone who is so successful and um, as a, as a sports, as an athlete of all things. And I, it just, it, it just changed so much about the way I viewed myself and the way I viewed other people who are not thin. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited (laughs) that you shared your Serena Williams story with me. Uh, So this podcast is about productivity and habits. So how do habits come into play here? Like what's your morning routine like? Are there systems that you use every day? Uh, There is a gross assumption that people who aren't a size eight don't take care of their bodies, as we just mentioned with Serena Williams. Uh, but your amazing body doesn't happen by accident, does it? No, it does not. <laughs> I think that is the biggest assumption. And I, I, I do remember when I first started modeling, I was like, I'm a plus size model. I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to look after myself. And that is a lie. That is a lie. <laughs> I need to look after myself. I need to watch what goes into my body. And, and I think it's, it's actually being... I guess in in the the curve model plus size model space, there's still just as much upkeep as the straight size models, and I, yeah, use the terms again. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, in the morning I wake up if I'm if I'm not working, I wake up. I usually try not to look at my phone straight away, but unfortunately, I am addicted to my device and social media but you know first step to fixing the habit is acknowledging it right (laughs) and also it's Um, COVID and you're alone in New York it's your it's your beacon to the outside world yeah yeah um and then I usually uh at the moment my gym is operating as an outdoor boot camp So I'm sure everyone in Australia is familiar with F45, but I do F45 in the mornings. Um, Then I stroll home, usually go past the bakery and get myself a croissant (laughs) and eat that on my way home with a coffee. (laughs) So healthy. Um, But then I, yeah, have my vitamins and stuff, have a shower and, and do that sort of thing. I am obsessed with my skincare routine so I definitely do that every day and it's very extensive. I, over COVID, I've definitely uh, extended the time and the products I use. So a 15-minute skincare routine is now probably a 40-minute skincare routine. Is that once or twice I a day? Just, uh, just once, but then I do like a the kind of 15-minute at night. Um, but it's so fun. Like I've got nowhere else to be, so I'm like, why not? take the time and just pamper myself um but now I've got the puppy I don't know if that he'll let me do that so (laughs) what's your uh like model exclusive as to what skincare we should be using not necessarily a brand but if there's because there's so many different levels of skincare now and it sounds like in your 45 minute routine you do you use all the different things if there was one particular product that you would recommend that people should be using what would you recommend cleanse tone and moisturize the three steps that you like if you don't do those three I think that's when you're going to probably 
falter a little bit. Obviously, everyone's skin is different. So I don't want to be like, this is going to work for you because it might not. But yeah, cleansing to make sure all of the the skin, dead skin and like impurities are kind of off your face. Toning to have that blank canvas and then moisture, like moisture, obviously very important. But I'm also really obsessed. There's this thing that I use. It's an electro current, uh, like pulse machine thing. It's really cool. It's, I don't know if you've got it in Australia yet, but it, I went and got this facial, a very cool facial in New York. It was a very New York thing. Um, but this woman is known for this electro current facial and she basically the, the currents pulse your muscles so tight that they contract and ends up like tightening your face. <laughs> is it, does it hurt? But you can't, no, you can't feel it. They're so, um, yeah, so small, but you can't feel them. But yeah, I feel like that's, that's the one thing that I can't live with that because I feel like I've genuinely seen an improvement since I started using that. That's amazing. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I feel like that's hardcore insider knowledge. And also, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think aging is a problem for you right now, but it's it's nice to hear about all of these pre things because surely that's a thing in your industry that people tell you about. Surely you have these older models coming at you and being like, oh, f- you know, for the love of God, use eye cream, that kind of thing. Yeah. And like everyone, not everyone, but there is a lot of, of kind of preemptive Botox happening. And I just, for me personally, I don't want to have Botox yet. I think I don't need it yet, but, and I'm, I'm not afraid of aging, but, um, if I can keep my skin looking as youthful as possible for as long as possible, um, I will probably do everything under the sun to do that, which I feel like seems counterintuitive to say, I'm not afraid of aging, but I want to look young for as long as possible. But But that's, that's (laughs) your job. Like that's your bread and butter. And also I do feel as if it is very on brand for you to age very gracefully and naturally as well. Yeah. Yeah. So can you give our listeners your top three productivity tips? So just things that have led you to being the successful person that you are today. Determination. And like, if, if you're stuck, keep, keep going. Um, that's one of my biggest things. I definitely procrastinate a lot and I often think that maybe I shouldn't be doing something, but I will always, yeah, keep, sorry. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I often, <laughs> often procrastinate a lot and, um, yeah, think that things are too hard and so I might stop doing them, but, um, to really gather my thoughts, whether that's like writing everything down on, on a big spreadsheet in front of me so that I can kind of get everything going on in my head onto paper so it's not as crazy in my mind and I think that I can't you know focus and do things um so that definitely helps um for me I think also exercising just even even if it's like five or ten minutes a day I'm not talking about like crazy workouts I'm talking just a simple yoga stretch five minutes of downward dog and and stretching out or something or um going for a walk around the block. I often get writer's block and stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I go for like a walk around the block and, and then that kind of clears my head. Um, I guess try and get as much done in the morning as possible. I think that for me as well, I have my best 
my best work comes out in the morning and try and well, that's the fourth one but try and set some kind of routine for yourself because then you will get stuff done and not be hard on yourself if, if you don't get it done <laughs> that's like five <laughs> like be hardcore but also don't be hardcore yeah like don't yeah don't be hard on yourself if you can't do it because I think too as women we try and do so much we there's so much pressure on us to be successful and to almost like to have it all and and do it all without being stressed and without having breakdowns. And it's totally okay to be stressed and to have breakdowns and say, actually, I can't do it anymore and just take some time off. It's so okay. That's a wonderful place to wrap up the interview. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. And that was Jennifer Attilamil. I loved having her as a guest on the show, particularly for some of the younger listeners out there. She's just such a wonderful example of giving things a go and how to stop fighting yourself and show up exactly as you are. I absolutely love how she stood her ground and refused to work with Victoria's Secret until they made acceptable changes to their inclusivity policies. It's just so powerful to hear about someone being rewarded for fighting what they believe in, especially when it is such a huge, could be a huge threat for their career. My top takeaways from this episode are number one, never shrink yourself to make other people feel like giants. Two, if you're stuck, keep going. Three, move your body. Not surprisingly, I absolutely love that third tip from Jennifer. I just feel when you move your body, even if it's just for 15 minutes a day, the world becomes clearer, your soul relaxes. It's just such an important thing that people really should be making the time for in their self-care. Coming up next week on the show is me again. 2020 has been a giant nightmare for all of us. And personally, I've learned a lot about myself this year and the way in which I function in the world when it's basically a giant garbage fire and there have been some big lessons that I've learned this year. In this episode I talk about the shit things that happened, what I learned from them and what I'm taking with me into 2021. See you then. Thank you for listening to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. I actually really, really love hearing from listeners. So seriously, don't be shy. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. Oh, and one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.